is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm William Hosea. Welcome once again to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning show in our 13th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. Good evening, I'm Cornelius Wright. As defined, the Supreme Court of the United States is the highest judicial body in the country and leads judicial branch of the federal government. It is often referred to by the acronym SCOTUS, the Supreme Court consists of nine justices, the Chief Justice of the United States, and eight Associate Justices. The justices are nominated by the President and confirmed with the advice and consent of the United States Senate per Article Two of the United States Constitution. As federal judges, the justices serve during good behavior, which means that justices have tenure for life unless they're removed by impeachment and subsequent conviction. The Supreme Court is the only court established by the U.S. Constitution in Article Three. didn't know that. All other federal courts are created by Congress. Upon the announced retirement of Justice Anthony Kennedy, President Donald Trump selected Brett Kavanaugh as his Supreme Court nominee replacement. That announcement was deemed controversial and was met with mixed national reaction. During the next hour, we'll be in conversation with Indiana University Law Professor Don Johnson to explore this issue. Professor Johnson, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here with you. So many things to get into, but one, just in this introduction, there was a question that popped in my head that that I hadn't thought about. Has there ever been a Supreme Court justice that has been impeached? Ah, there has been. um, And I am sorry to say that I have not brushed up on those details, I did just come from teaching a class on uh, constitutional law, and we were talking about, one of my students raised, whether, um, you know, judges have been impeached, uh, judges have been impeached and can be impeached. So a student asked if uh, Brett Kavanaugh in his hearing says one thing and does another. You know, isn't that something that we can then impeach him for, or does life tenure prevent that? Um, And... Uh, we talked about the fact that in hearings, sometimes nominees will say one thing and then they get on the court and they do not comply with what they said they would do. We've seen numerous examples of that. And something like that, um, I think is important to note, is not going to become a basis for impeachment. Uh, so the hearings are um, uh, coming up on Tuesday, very important to follow. But once a nominee makes it through that process, is confirmed by the Senate, and then appointed by by the president, life tenure, we've seen, gives judges, um, and is designed to give judges uh, uh, immunity, really, from removal for their substantive decisions, for the substantive decisions they issue on the court. That's how it should be, but that's Mm -hmm. a very powerful position in what makes the Senate's role so important here. You know, before we uh, go any further, I just want to let our audience know why you are so uniquely qualified to speak on this issue. 
Um, you joined the IU faculty, faculty in 98, following a distinguished career in Washington, D.C., and you served in the U.S. Department of Justice under President Bill Clinton, including as the acting assistant attorney general for the Office of Legal Counsel, which provides legal advice to the attorney general, the president, and the general counsels of various executive branch agencies. You also served on transition teams for both President Clinton and President Obama. Did, did I get it all right? Yes, that, that were a great privilege to have served, uh, especially um, for years for President Clinton. And then I did, did um, have the, the privilege also of working with President Obama on his, on his uh, campaign and transition team Unfortunately, he nominated me to be part of his administration, but I'll, I'll add to my bio there that uh, the Senate did not act on, on my confirmation, never voted for over a year. So I myself went through the confirmation process when President Obama nominated mm -hmm. me to head the Office of Legal Counsel, and I had a hearing, um, but I was, um, <coughs> in effect, you know, blocked by um, some of the uh, Republicans in the Senate um, for some of my, um, in part, positions on um, issues like torture and com president should comply with the law. That was essentially my theme during the, the Bush administration. It also was a time when, you know, we have a, a history of the Senate blocking nominations when they're unhappy with the president's policies on certain issues. We've seen that time and again, and I was a victim of that. Um, and so never actually served in, in the Obama administration, but worked for President Obama in yeah. other ways. That brings up an excellent point with November elections around the corner, uh, possible seats up in the Senate, and a Supreme Court nominee uh, that's going to be going through the, the process. Um, when President Obama uh, was in a similar uh, position, the Republicans basically stated that there shouldn't be a nominee during an election year. So here we go again. Here we are again. What's the difference in their spin when it comes to Kavanaugh? That's an excellent question. I think it is very important to consider Judge Kavanaugh's nomination against the backdrop of the fact President Obama was denied the ability um, to nominate a justice when he clearly had that role. And so the Republicans, it's one, one of the examples of obstruction um, that is, uh, I think, most damaging to our nation because President Obama nominated Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court and the um, Republicans in the Senate uh, immediately said, doesn't matter who it is, we're not going to let President Obama appoint a justice to the court to fill this seat. Um, and they did say it was because it was, you know, we should wait till after the next election, let the next president um, but there's no support historically for that. That was just made up, um, just crass partisanship to, to prevent oh, President Obama from, from fulfilling his, his um, duty and, and his responsibility. And that was the seat Merrick Garland was nominated to was stolen from yeah. uh, President Obama and, and Merrick Garland. Which could change the course of our history in this country. It would have. It absolutely would have. Neil Gorsuch instead was confirmed to that seat. So an, an illegitimate Supreme Court justice appointed by an illegitimate president. That's um, another side. <coughs> the legitimacy yeah. of this president, I think, is, is another important context well, here. Well, I guess a, a follow-up question to that would be, uh, if a new Senate is elected yeah. and they decided that that was illegal, 
would those be grounds for the impeachment that we were speaking of earlier, or would that are we just out of luck? Well, impeachment is very much in the news for lots of reasons nowadays, and uh, the the context, you know, more often now of of President Trump in light of recent legal events with his former campaign manager and lawyer, um, and and Trump essentially now is an undicted co-conspirator in uh, violating campaign finance laws designed to influence his own election. You know, so that just happened. What does that do for this is really important. There's no definition of impeachment in the Constitution beyond high crimes and misdemeanors. Um, and so what? Um, there's so much, you know, books, articles written about that. I'll say one thing about it. What, what's most clear about um, when impeachment was um, designed to come into play and when it's most appropriate is when we have a situation like we do with the president now where uh, the political system is corrupted, where uh, we have, um, at least there should be investigation where there are allegations that the outcome of an election was unlawfully tampered with. Um, in the context of judge, so, so I think that's relevant to whether we allow President Trump and the Senate Republicans to rush through this nomination when we don't even have Judge Kavanaugh's records from when he worked in the White House for President Bush. You know, that's a very important factor. We should be slowing it down, but um, not following the same rules. Even Elena Kagan, when she worked in the White House, before she was confirmed to the Supreme Court, the Senate had all of her records from when she worked for Bill Clinton. So um, they're just playing by, by different rules. They're proceeding and rushing this through. And in light of recent events and the, the special counsel's investigation and what's likely to come before this court, um, we, we need to be sure the Senate has all the evidence and then ask, really, should this president be allowed to, to fill this seat in light of the broader context? Well, you know, um, <coughs> excuse me, Cory Booker and other civil rights organizations made the argument, or they made this argument early on, that Trump should not be allowed to nominate anyone to fill that seat um, because he's under investigation and that he wants to nominate someone who's going to vote in his favor if he re decides to refuse a subpoena. So, but, but Republicans just completely dismiss that argument and progressives weren't even, you know, giving it uh, uh, too much credit. But now you mentioned he's an unindicted co-conspirator since though, since, uh, uh, that uh, has developed. D does that argument have any more uh, weight to it now? It absolutely does. And I remember when Senator Cory Booker made that point, you know, I thought, hmm, that seems a little out there. You know, that was yeah. at the time. Yeah, I thought he was reaching. He was, it, it was interesting. It was interesting. We have a special counsel investigation going on underway. We don't know where that's going to go. That's where we were when he made that point. And so I saw that, you know, more and more over time. I just think it's a game changer when you have someone um, saying, we have Michael Cohen pleading guilty to felony charges, eight counts, uh, which involve saying that the president directed him. Um, and in concert with the president, he violated campaign finance laws. And it was, remember, less than two weeks before President mm -hmm. Trump was elected, that he 
in concert with the president, paid hush money um, uh, to cover up an affair that might well have changed the outcome of, of that election. That's just one of the things out there that yeah. might have changed the outcome of a very close election. Again, I would say, so I think Senator Booker's point makes a lot more sense now. Wow. It makes And b- these issues um, that, that you mentioned, William, certainly could go to the court. Mm-hmm. You know, can the president fire special counsel Mueller? Like he says he can. President Trump says, I can just fire him. I can direct him what to, tell him what to do, how to run the investigation, or I can fire him. Um, he says, I don't have to comply with subpoenas. You know, President Trump has, I can pardon myself. You know, he's taken very extreme positions, and those are the kinds of issues that have gone to the Supreme Court already. The Supreme Court in the past has said presidents, in the Nixon tapes case, Mm -hmm. the president must, in that case they said, respond to a subpoena, turn over the tapes, Oval Office tapes that uh, revealed wrongdoing on the part of the president during Watergate. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh has said that decision may have been wrongly decided. You know, so that's out there. He's also taken, Brett Kavanaugh's taken positions about uh, very, very extreme strong positions on presidential power, including in the context of an, a special counsel investigation of the president. So that, that's, very, that all, that's all very relevant at a minimum. At a minimum, I think the senators who say we cannot have this hearing until we have his record and see what he said when he was working in the White House. That's that at a minimum, I, I think, is right. But where we find ourselves now is that the checks and balances just don't work. They need checks and balances. Yeah. And Republicans have a history of looking the other way when it comes to this guy. So no, no matter how strong that argument is mm-hmm. about the uh, president being an unindicted co-conspirator and even and we all know there's more to come. How likely is it that Senate leadership will you know, we'll do anything about it. Your and guess this, is as good as mine on that. Um, what, what, mm-hmm, I wonder but, what the yeah. threshold is. At what point will they be compelled yeah. to stand up and do something? How how bad does uh, this have to go? How many laws have to be uh, revealed that he's broken? Right. He's already said he could kill somebody and his party was still. So, I mean, he, he's already set the, the parameters. Mm-hmm. And that's... There's uh, been, I think, more evidence he was right when he said that than I thought at the time. I mean, that seemed crazy at the time, but I would have thought that the events of the last week with Trump's campaign manager, former campaign manager, former lawyer, saying what they did and both being convicted of eight felony counts. And still nothing. Still nothing. And and I think you're right to talk about the Senate leadership. I mean, it's about whether, you know, what will it take before some handful of Republican leaders in the Senate say, let's slow this down. Enough is enough. Let's at least talk about this and not rush this through. Uh, so I I keep thinking that. I posted that question on my Facebook page. You know, I, I, I really am, am wondering that myself. Uh, I think in, we have to remember in the Watergate era, it took a lot. It did take a lot. And, and it's, you know, not surprising it would take a lot before Senate um, senators of the same party as the president will stand up on principle, but we've certainly crossed a bunch of lines already. Yeah. Well, and wasn't there some controversy about the timing of Justice Kennedy's retirement based on some questionable relationships involving his son and the Trump organization? 
So I did see that. I did read about that. And I, I have heard, you know, people who know Justice Kennedy well, Republicans, Democrats, journalists, um, say that um, they, they just don't think that's, that's right. But I would say it's not, un- it's not uncommon for justices to retire when the political party they belong to is in power. So that's not surprising. Here it's a little, here Justice Anthony Kennedy is very special on the court. He's the justice in the middle of a quite right-wing court, but you know he is someone who has cared a great deal about civil liberties, individual rights um, that are without him uh, a grave danger. You know, he was the deciding fifth vote on marriage equality to prevent the overruling of Roe, to prevent the end of affirmative action, um, to at least in one case uphold the use of race for diversity in the University of Texas system. All this now is at stake um, and and, um, very likely to be decided the other way. Um, these and many other decisions. Justice Kennedy's own legacy is is really on the line because just uh, we have to remember one more thing. President Trump said Antonin Scalia is his model, and we know how he has voted in, against civil liberties, civil rights in all these cases. And again, one one thing that comes to my mind when I think of the the Republican Senate and the the things you just mentioned. Do you think they care? And that's what really worries me. We, we have these Republican senators in office now that have an opportunity with their you know, appointment that could change history to where we're re, re, uh, going backwards. And I, do they really care or is that what they really want? And it's so, scary. Yes. You know, I think in the end what I care about is what they do, you know, not what they're in their hearts if they feel bad about it. But, but do they care? So I would expect they would care about the issues we were just talking about for sure presidential power and checks and balances which you know we all learn hopefully in in high school about checks and balances being core to our system so i was speaking more of the the diversity factor yes yeah i was gonna get to that second so i think they you know they're they're they should care about congress and the courts being able to check the president that should be basic now civil rights and civil liberties there's um more of a partisan split, I have to say, between Democrats and Republicans yeah. on those issues. But there are some, you know, Susan Collins, for example, of Maine, Republican senator, who consistently has said she supports Roe versus Wade and doesn't want it overruled, met with um, Judge Kavanaugh, who um, almost certainly will effectively overrule Roe if put on the court. But she said after meeting with him, I was reassured that he, he, she said, like John Roberts thinks Roe is settled law. Now, John Roberts dissented and in, um, was on the other side of Justice Kennedy in um, big abortion case, whole women's health. And he would have, John Roberts, you know, that's a frightening thing to say. John Roberts would have upheld Texas abortion restrictions that would have shut down over three quarters of the clinics in the state. Uh, effectively making abortion unavailable in large parts of the state. So so I don't so that's where you know it seems like partisan party affiliation is in some cases um, making some senators who would care about civil rights, civil liberties 
look the other way and stick with the party. I hope not. It hasn't happened yet, but that's yeah. there are signs of that. You mentioned that uh, Kennedy, Justice Kennedy, was the last defense for certain issues like affirmative action, uh, civil rights, so on and so forth. But I'm thinking, isn't that what makes this uh, whole nomination process so questionable? Because he is consciously turning over his seat to someone that he knows is is more likely to vote against uh, things that he uh, voted for. Yeah. Yes. It's um, it's um, I guess the fact that he decided uh, and President Trump was you know bragging about this. He trusts me to replace him for whatever yeah. reason. Justice Kennedy has decided that uh, it's it's the right time. Some people, I heard um, Nina Totenberg talking about why did Justice Kennedy step down when so much is at stake and may come out um, or will most of this come out the other way if Trump gets to replace him. And she did also talk about family considerations and his um uh, wife um, uh, needing his support more, and so there, you know, there could be um, issues like that of a personal nature that um, you know she <clears throat> believed uh, helped push him in this direction. We don't know, but I mean, he had yeah. he had the right to retire when he wanted, and now now Trump has the right to nominate. But he, I think, what you're opening. Um, made very clear, um, William and Cornelius, you made very clear that the Senate has a role too. And the American people have a role in talking to their senators. The president does not get to pick the Supreme Court justices on his own. Uh, and so we have this very important next step to go through. And I know there's been tremendous activity in Indiana. Senator Joe Donnelly has been especially a target. And Thank so you for that bringing is that up. important that we're in the middle of that here. And that's how our system works. And so, so you know, hopefully it will be a meaningful process of reviewing what we have of, yeah. of Brett Kavanaugh's record. Why is there such a rush? Uh, there's so many things that need to be scrutinized. So by their own judgment with uh, President Obama's nominee, there was time that they let go by. So, it, you know, obviously timing isn't the factor. Right. So why not see, check his record, yeah. and and let the facts fall where they may. Yeah, good point. They kept that Mer Merrick Garland seat open for many many months. No no rushing there. They didn't even give him a hearing. A year, give or take. Didn't even give him a hearing. So um, I do think as I mentioned this, it's so important to be consistent and principled. And Elena Kagan had worked in the Clinton administration when when I was there. You know, we worked together, and um, when she was nominated, her White House records were turned over to the Senate, um, with very few exceptions. There have to be a few exceptions, and there's just no defense, none really being offered by the Republicans for not following the same rule and for rushing without getting the information. Um, from the White House, which will take some time to, to gather those documents. So there's just, there's no good excuse for that. You know, Republicans are not trying at all. To, they're not trying to hide the hypocrisy of the double standard. They could care less as long as they end up getting what they want. But you brought up uh, Joe Donnelly a minute ago. 
and and that's something that I wanted to ask you about because he voted for Neil Gorsuch. And I remember, uh, what was it, a couple of months ago we were having a conversation and you said that uh, that, that was something that he needed to do because he needed to uh, give his Republican voters something. And Neil Gorsuch would have been uh, confirmed anyway. So, so let me say, I, I don't think I would have said he needed to do it. Uh-huh. I may have been, I can't remember exactly what I said, but but I know what I thought, which was the right thing to do would have been to have voted against him. Mm-hmm. The political calculation, I may have been speculating for sure, I I believe I, I would do that, that um, there is a difference um, between you know, it's much more important, I would think, for to vote against Kavanaugh, vote against Kavanaugh or Gorsuch if you're if you're the deciding Excuse vote. Me. So I, I think maybe we're talking about that issue. Um, and I, you know, I remain. Um, I, I have no idea what Senator Donnelly is going to do here. Right. Uh, I support you know i think it's important for democrats to win back the senate to be a check on the president and whatever senator donnelly does i think um whatever you think about senator donnelly having the check on the president there's going to be another nomination you know and and who's in charge of the senate is going to matter down the line i think he should have voted senator donnelly should have voted against judge gorsuch and he should more important that he votes against Brett Kavanaugh, for sure, given Justice Kennedy's very special role in the middle of the court. Uh, and, you know, I, don't, I understand the pressures, and I've seen the ads um, overwhelmingly from those on the right wing who are pouring in millions and millions of dollars to make this an issue. I was, <clears throat> was going to ask you about that, too, because I've been seeing uh, ads in favor of Neil Gorsuch but I haven't Kavanaugh. seen Brett Kavanaugh. Oh, yeah, now, Brett yes. Kavanaugh. But I haven't seen any uh, opposed to uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. And and is do you think that's going to create a problem? Yeah, or, or does it even some, matter? Yeah, there are some, but but um, very few compared to those on the other side. I, I want to take this back to the '80s. You know, several decades. We have a problem, I think, of imbalance in this country. Ever since Ronald Reagan's election in the 80s and the creation of the Federalist Society, which is a um, right-wing legal conservative organization formed to try to move the law um, in toward the ideological right, um, we have had um, Republican leaders who have an, and and uh, advocacy groups who have made judges a top priority on the um, right without a counterbalance on the left. People, Democrats, progressives, liberals care um, um, uh, and place priority on a, a range of, of policy issues like health care reform, um, like um, enacting civil rights protections. Um, and, and the court, the judicial nominations have never played since the um, Republican Party has made it such a priority has not it's not been the same priority um, on on the um, among Democrats and among progressives and that is now after these decades of, of appointments um, and, and right now I think created a, a dangerous imbalance in our courts 
<clears throat> excuse me, William mentioned a second ago about how the Republicans unashamedly do what they do as long as they get the result they want. Have the Democrats been too weak? You've been in Washington, D.C., so you, you kind of see know the players, see how the game is played. Do we need to get more aggressive? What do we need to do to change the game? So that's a big question. That, uh, Vote. That, that is, yes. Okay, so um, we're a democracy. You know, we, in theory at least, and then if we, we voted and took part, um, I think in practice too, control who our representatives are, there's a huge issue of money in politics and um, corporate influences, Citizens United, and I think a lot of your viewers are, are aware of that and maybe discouraged by that. But we, we do still have the power of the vote and um, getting out there and, and knocking on doors. Um, and I would say adding attention to the courts, to the list of things, you know, speaking as a progressive Democrat myself yeah. here now, but we need to add attention to the courts to the list of what we pay attention to. Because for decades we've been um, just really outmaneuvered on, on that. Uh, and we've seen how it matters in, in case after case. Uh, I'd like to talk a little about race as an example of that, and we mentioned already that Justice Kennedy, who um, is, he's no, no progressive when it comes to issues of race, but he's, you know, he was in the middle of the court, and he was the justice who um, left, uh, I think William maybe put it this way, you know, left the door open for um, some use of affirmative action, promotion of diversity and higher education, um, and that is what will be shut if Brett Kavanaugh takes that seat. And that is what has been the goal of the Republicans since the Reagan administration. I mean, they wrote it down in reports that I've read. You know, and they, they, the goal was, I'll just say a couple sentences about this very important principle. The Constitution, the Equal Protection Clause, after the Civil War, the Equal Protection Clause was added to the Constitution in order to end the subordination of African Americans to end race discrimination that disadvantaged African Americans, that's been turned on its head in recent decades yeah. in case after case brought by white plaintiffs, male plaintiffs against women, you know, um, but on race, white plaintiffs saying that um, for decades trying to build this new theory of a colorblind constitution. And so that came to a head in, an, in a decision parents involved, involving uh, uh, desegregation of the Louisville and Seattle school districts. So in that case, four justices took the view, and I'm going to read a sentence uh, written by Chief Justice Roberts. The way to stop discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. And he meant, and four justices meant, um, an end to race-conscious affirmative action and remedies um, that are designed to promote diversity and remedy discrimination against racial minorities um, and rule in favor of white plaintiffs in, in, in these cases where school boards were voluntarily trying to promote diversity. Um, you know, which um, Justice Kennedy would not go that far. So he said, 
he wrote um, in response that um, the enduring hope is that race should not matter. The reality is that too often it still does. Um, and you know, and there are just so, and so many examples of how our country's work is not finished in terms of you know and that's a whole other show. But that's what's at stake on issues of race, whether this um, this position by Chief Justice Roberts has four votes now that we no longer have to worry about race. You know, we're we're in a, a situation now when we can have a colorblind constitution and pretend. Um, ignore the realities of, I'll give you one example of something I'm writing about now, um, the continuing effects of, of past and current discrimination on um, wealth in this country. And this, is, this is my current project. Um, today, the median uh, wealth of a white family, $141,000, 13 times that of the median in, uh, wealth of a black family, which is Eleven thousand dollars. So this, you know, this this colorblind approach would ignore the realities of our nation, and and say um, school boards cannot, for example, seek to promote um, ideals of um, racial diversity uh, in in elementary, secondary schools, universities, and Justice Kennedy has at least kept the door open to that. You know, with with the uh, with Justice Kennedy retiring, uh, is it correct that that there will be no more swing vote on the court after that? Well, there's always a justice in the middle, in the sense that um, the lawyers have in mind when they're arguing before the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. um, how do I get to five? So we have nine justices. You need five to win. Some cases, yeah, you don't have a good shot at all at getting even one or two. But if you have a if you have a, a shot at it, you're going to be thinking, you know, who's who's the um, last justice I'm likely to bring over? And so the speculation is that becomes Chief Justice John Roberts, if Brett Kavanaugh joins the court, and he's the one who just wrote what I read to you about forget it, race. We don't need to think about racism, race anymore. Uh, and and we just need to stop discriminating on the basis of race, uh, and 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 just you know ignore the realities of the continuing effects of, of racism. And so he is the one, Chief Justice Roberts. Consensuses would become that that middle vote on the court. Now, um, we talked about how Judge Kavanaugh needs to be under higher scrutiny; that a lot of his decisions need to be checked out. But are there any examples on the record of Judge Kavanaugh against civil rights and women's rights? So that's a good question, an important question. I do want to say I resisted a little bit only because we have a system now when um, President Trump said, I'm going to pick someone like Justice Scalia. There's an incentive to pick someone who doesn't have anything in their record that is going to get them in a lot of trouble. You know, so um, that that being said, and, and we have to take just President Trump at his word that he's looking for someone. He said during the campaign, said again and again, Justice Scalia is his model. There's a little bit though in in um, Brett Kavanaugh's record on issues of 
race and, and sex discrimination um, and, and reproductive rights, you know, there are some things to think about. So in race, just, you know, it hasn't come up very much in the D.C. circuit. It's not likely to, you know. So um, what what is most um, in the news is a case he worked on in 1999 before he was a judge um, as a lawyer in private practice where uh, he argued um, and this is relevant to to um, affirmative action, the use of race um, to promote equality. Um, so this is a case involving um, Native Hawaiians, Native Hawaiians being given um, you know preferential treatment under the law. And he, as a private lawyer, argued that that was unconstitutional. And he used the theory that I just described from, Robert, Justice Justice Roberts, before that really, what he really quoted was Antonin Scalia, um, that um, uh, we should um, not allow any use of race, even when designed to um, advantage minorities who historically have been discriminated against or have some special claim to um, uh, being treated differently like Native Hawaiians. So so Brett Kavanaugh's uh, one, one famous quote was, in the eyes of the government, we are just one race. And, and in that case, he prevailed. He prevailed um, in, an, uh, in a case that um, civil rights groups like the NAACP and the Leadership Conference of Civil Rights are saying uh, cause concern that um, he will be with Chief Justice Roberts in that um, parents-involved, uh, colorblind approach to um, discrimination suits brought by white plaintiffs. When you talk about uh, Justice Roberts now being, it, you know, if Kavanaugh is confirmed, then Justice Roberts will be could be in uh, the deciding vote in several cases. Um, it kind of makes me want to look past him. Uh, and just look forward and, and look at any future Supreme Court retirements. Mm -hmm. Are there any of those that could change the landscape? I mean, uh, what what are the numbers uh, if you have a progressive to retire? Mm -hmm. Then, of course, you know, if, if Republicans get to make the next decision, they can tilt the court even more. Yes. And but, that will affect more issues yeah. than we're talking about. But if Democrats can uh, take over the uh, the Senate and they get to choose a nominee, uh, then they only maintain the status quo if a progressive retires. Yeah. Right? So I do want to say about this. So this is really, this is the justice in the middle. So I just need to say that again. I didn't mention yet reproductive rights, LGBT rights. So I just, I just want to emphasize, but Kavanaugh has a record on in a very important abortion case involving an undocumented immigrant where he blocked it was this that year, young right? woman's abortion. Yes, and yeah. so that will be definitely the subject of a lot of discussion. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that we'll, we'll be hearing about that and um, the way he applied, he, was, he dissented and would have um, continued to block um, an undocumented young woman's abortion in a, in a case where the majority of the D.C. Circuit on banc, that means all the ju judges sitting, 
said she has a right to to have this abortion, and he dissented from that. So that's big. That is that's one of the central issues of this nomination that's getting the most attention and, and, and de- deserves to be. The next justice, I mean, so that's enough judges. That's enough justices right there mm-hmm. to, um, on all the issues I've been talking about, to, to swing the outcome. Um, the next opening, now there's very good chance that there'll be another one while President Trump is in office still, and that it will be a progressive, that you know, um, when the, the Justice uh, Ginsburg and... Justice Breyer um, are, are um, getting up there in, in years. And I think that uh, what's so important is it, it will um, make it uh, more tempting and easier for the court to do dramatic things if it can do it uh, in, in, the, in the direction of overruling civil rights laws, reproductive rights laws, Standing up for strong presidential power, they're more likely to do that. They can do that six three rather than five four. Yeah, you know, overruling precedent is um, supposed to be something the court does reluctantly. There's a principle called stare decisis. Even though um, a, ju- a justice thinks a prior decision is wrongly decided, that that justice he or she is supposed to still adhere to it unless there are exceptional reasons to overrule it. Um, and so if, if it's, um, you know, 6-3 against Roe versus Wade and, and Whole Women's Health, that Texas abortion Supreme Court case that's so important, if it's 6-3 instead of 5-4, it's more likely to happen. Um, so, so I don't want to, I don't want listeners to think, oh, we can wait, you know, it's the next one that matters. This one matters. This is the fifth vote. The next one's the sixth vote. And the one after that's the seventh vote. And I think that the, um, likelihood the court will do extreme things in the wrong direction will go, grow exponentially you know with every additional justice that president trump gets to appoint for our listening audience we are we have in the studio this evening indiana university law professor don johnson and we're discussing the controversial supreme court nomination of brett kavanaugh and as we were talking i had a couple of questions how many republican women senators do we have right now? Oh, I should know the answer to that, and I do not. I do not know the answer. I just know who is being targeted, you know, who we hope uh, might care enough about um, not overruling whole women's health, the Texas abortion case. And and the reason I ask, with with this nomination coming up, these women have daughters. Mm-hmm. They they have children. Obviously, they have to see the direction that some of these decisions could make. And wouldn't I, I would? This is sad for me to say, but I think women would look at country over party a lot more than men. Yes. And yeah. so well, I, that's why I was wondering about the numbers because hopefully they can stop the nomination themselves without a lot of Democrats. You, you think so, huh? Oh, I'm in, praying, in, man. In the I'm day praying. of Sarah Huckabee <laughs> Sanders and. Well, I've said more than men. I mean, they're not politicians, but still. (laughs) Well, we are targeting, (laughs) you know, a couple uh, Republican women senators. So there's some more hope. I would say there's some more hope. Um, This is a little off topic, but it makes me think about the fact there's been a tremendous increase of women running for office, which is a great thing since President Trump was elected and the Me Too movement. But there, I just heard a study on the radio. There's a difference 
between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party on that. The Democrats are electing the women. The Republicans are not in the same numbers. So I just put that out there. You know, there there is um, definitely a big difference in the parties, in the commitment to um, racial and sex equality and inclusion oh, yeah. and diversity. I mean, yeah. there's no there's question. There's a canyon in between. Oh, yeah. And it's growing. Yeah. You know, it hasn't always been this way. During, I, I want to mention Robert Bork. 1987 was a year. I was just out of law school working at the ACLU and um, then in a women's rights organization after that. Uh, before I worked for, for President Clinton, I, I worked in nonprofit advocacy. And so um, President Reagan nominated Robert Bork. And I don't know if the listeners remember Robert Bork, but the Senate did not confirm him. And as a result, Anthony Kennedy got that seat. Robert Bork would have decided all the cases we're talking about the other way. Robert Bork was very extreme, and the Senate asked him, you know, what's your view on the right of a married couple to use contraception? He said, no right. What's your view on Brown versus Board of Education and the companion case, Bowling versus Sharp, and uh, issues of school desegregation? And he said, I have some trouble with those decisions. He answered, his vision was not the vision that America wanted. And uh, I think I was like 81% of Americans followed the hearings, knew what it was about, and, and, and Republican senators were listening, and um, some voted against him. You know? And so it's, it's been done before, for and it was for Justice Kennedy's seat. They wouldn't do that today. So that's Republican the difference. Senators. That I think, and you asked about that earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, when is enough enough? And we're going to see some Republican senators standing up on principle on some of these issues. And uh, I would hope it would be on this Brett Kavanaugh's nomination and Trump's ability to nominate and appoint someone to the court, um, or at least demand the records be provided before they have a hearing. Um, but then, you know, all the issues around the special counsel, we'll see. I think, you know, what you said, I think, William, you said this earlier. This is going to, lots more going to be coming out in the next yes. few months. The problem is it's maybe too late for this confirmation hearing. It may be in the month or two after that. And that's interesting, again, that rush. But you, uh, you talked a little bit about before, and William brought this up, about the progressives who may be retiring soon. With this president in office and health reasons, you know, off the table, wouldn't these progressives stay in just because they know what could happen if that seat is, uh, not, if Trump's given a, another nomination? I think you're right. I think they will stay in if they at all can. And I don't know if either of you seen RBG, the movie yet, but it shows- <laughs> The notorious um, The RBG. notorious RBG, it shows Justice Ginsburg uh, working with her personal trainer, you know, and determined to stay healthy in there as long as she can. Um, Justice Thurgood Marshall uh, was um, reported, you know, to have said, I am not leaving this court while there's a Republican in the presidency. Prop my body up if you need to, you know. And um, But he he had to step down for health reasons, you know, so that and then Clarence Thomas was confirmed. You know, so 
I think that they will not step down um, other than, and, and Justice Ginsburg's made clear she's not going anywhere, um, but you know they, they cannot control, not entirely their health. That's good to see them working out like that with personal trainers. Um, let me see. I was reading something uh, that you uh, emailed us just before the show. And it was about that letter from um, attorneys that worked in the Office of Legal Counsel, the one that they sent to uh, Senators Grassley and Feinstein. Has there been any type of response to that letter? And it, it, do you think it's likely that, that they'll influence the Senate at all, Senate Republicans? Yeah, so I joined together with um, a handful of my former um, colleagues in the Clinton administration, Department of Justice, who are now also... Um, most of them law professors, but we, you know, we worked on issues of presidential power, advising uh, President Clinton, and then s- some of them also for President Obama, as well. So we wrote especially about our concerns around the special counsel investigation and um, the ability of um, a special counsel. Uh, and also ultimately Congress, you know, to obtain information and pursue possible presidential wrongdoing, criminal wrongdoing. So um, I think, so we, we, we tried to provide some detail about how the senators should ask questions about the role of, um, I think I mentioned before, the role of, of the courts in being able to subpoena information, the role of special counsel subpoena information. So I think I mentioned earlier, President Trump has said, um, you know, I'm the president, I get to control what the special counsel does, I can fire the special counsel, I don't have to respond to subpoenas, very strong extreme view, that is not what the Supreme Court has said. And so we wanted to make very clear the Supreme Court has upheld the independent counsel in United States versus Morrison, it was um, there's only one dissent, and it was by Justice Scalia, Trump's favorite Supreme Court justice. Um, U.S. versus Nixon about uh, subpoenaing the the Watergate tapes was unanimous, and uh, Brett Kavanaugh has said he thinks maybe that was wrongly decided, you know, and that and he suggested that he supports what we call the unitary executive, which is a very strong view of presidential power. And so I do think that at least the Democratic senators will be asking questions about those cases, but I hope some of the Republicans will, will be principled and, and worry about those things as well. well. And that's my worry as you talk about principled Republicans. <laughs> that's almost an oxymoron. Uh, they've showed this. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. They, they've showed it by their, their lack of action with this particular president. So how should we feel comfortable that even with direct evidence staring them in their face of wrongdoings that they'll do the right thing well i'd say the only thing that we can do uh or the main thing that we can do is um you know we the american people we the people govern you know is is just make a lot of noise and pay a lot of attention um and uh november and midterm elections are just critical to maintaining some degree of checks on what we know has been presidential wrongdoing. And we don't, we, Congress needs to stand up 
to the president when the president breaks the law. That's, you know, that's how it's supposed to work. And if they don't, every one of the listeners uh, to this show and, you know, every, every one of us should tell our friends, tell 10 friends, that um, we do not have the essential system of checks and balances in place that we need when we know we have a president who has been accused of very serious criminal wrongdoing in the political arena. You know, so it doesn't get worse than this. And uh, I, I would say that engaging in politics has, has never been more important than, than this November. Since we uh, know that Democrats have no procedural or, or legal options to, to slow down or stop this confirmation, is there anything outside of, uh, of those two scenarios that could stop Brett Kavanaugh's nomination? Something it unexpected. Yeah, so, you know, I think that more will come out about our president, no question. Uh, I, I think nothing can stop it other than, in the end, winning over votes of two Republicans to slow it down. But I think, um, or the Senate leadership, but I, I, I think there are things that, you know, where's the bar? We we yeah. talked earlier. We think we've passed it, but but I can imagine things that could be in, uh, for example, uh, Judge Kavanaugh's White House record more than we've seen that could um, uh, be a red flag or at least you know slow you things down more. You think they're hiding something? I don't know if they're hiding records. something, but they're not even looking. I mean, they haven't that, even that, seen that's it. That's my point. Yeah, they the Republicans haven't seen it either. Uh. So. So I, we just don't know what's in there, and it is, you know, if he's confirmed, he can't be impeached for. He's there's no way that when it comes out after he's confirmed, it can make a difference. Um, but also, just the investigation, the ongoing investigations, multiple investigations into President Trump and the Trump um, uh, businesses, you know, and and family members, you know, so uh, and the Russian uh, Russian collusion, as you know, we we hear a lot about and. President Trump likes to always say, that's all we care about, and it's it's obviously not, but more could come out about the role of Russian interference with the election. But I'm just afraid that if if we can't slow it down, it's going to come out in, you know, the month or two after the confirmation. And so, so I think so much more can be done in terms of elevating these issues by letters to the editor, um, more calls to senators, um, more political action, shows like this. Yeah, make make a tremendous difference. Local newspapers paying attention to it and writing about it in their editorial pages. So, you know, we certainly as a nation haven't done all we can to try to turn this around or at least slow it down. We've got a couple of minutes left, and uh, one of the things that's been kind of staring me in the face as we've been talking is this uh, book that I'm looking at, The Color of Law. Ah. Would you like to comment on that Thank just a you. little bit for our listening audience? I would. I have a book recommendation here. And um, this is something I'm, I'm actually just starting, and my husband, John Hamilton, is reading this. And he was at a mayor's conference uh, several days ago and heard the author of this book, The Color of Law, Richard Rothstein, speak. Um, and it seemed to me very on point of, the specter of having Brett Kavanaugh replace Anthony Kennedy on the Supreme Court. Because this book, um, and it goes back to the issues we're talking about, uh, about changing the meaning of equal protection. 
The subheading of this is A Forgotten History of How Our Government Segregated America. And it's a lot of details about how official, what, what many people think is just, you know, pr- just private discriminatory decisions about housing leading to segregation. He details um, that it was uh, government decisions in, I'm from New York, in New York, on Long Island, Levittown, where my, my relatives lived, intentionally in the 50s um, and other times, um, refusing to allow government um, subsidized housing um, or limiting it only to whites mm-hmm. only. Okay. And so the name of that the book, book again the color was of The Color law of Law by Richard Rothstein, and it's why we should interpret the Equal Protection Clause, um, why we should not interpret it the way that Chief Justice John Roberts okay. urges. And unfortunately, that's about all we have time for. Um, we want to thank Indiana University Law Professor Don Johnson for joining us this evening to discuss the controversial, controversial Supreme Court nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. If you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, Please send that info directly to our Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional info about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, you can contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Our board engineer was Jim Thrasher. Our original theme music was created by Jamil FM with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Cornelius Wright. Tune in next Monday, September the 3rd at 6 p.m. for Bring It On for another exciting show right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.